You are listening to the LTN Book Club, a bi-weekly read-along podcast positioned at the intersection of nerd and literary culture. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club. Hello and welcome to this episode of LTN Book Club Podcast. I am Madeline, your host. Uh, this episode we're going to be talking about Star War Star Wars. I can pronounce things. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. Thrawn Ascendancy Book One Chaos Rising. This title has so many titles in it. Uh, this book is by Timothy Zahn. Content warnings for the book, some of which will be discussed this evening. Ship battle violence, child endangerment, child abuse, and descriptions of corpses. We're a little bit lighter on content warnings. (laughs) As well, but nothing too major. (laughs) And dissection. Thank you. Uh, The back of the book blurb for Star Wars Thrawn Ascendancy Book One Chaos Rising. Beyond the edge of the galaxy lies unknown regions, chaotic, uncharted, and near impassable, with hidden secrets and dangers in equal measure. And nestled within its swirling chaos is the Ascendancy, home to the enigmatic Chiss and the nine ruling families that lead them. The peace of the Ascendancy, a beacon of calm and stability, is shattered after a daring attack on the Chiss capital that leaves no trace of the enemy. Baffled, the Ascendancy dispatches one of its brightest young military officers to root out the unseen assailants. A recruit born of no title, but adopted into the powerful family of the myth and given the name Thrawn. With the might of the expansionary fleet at his back and the aid of his comrade Admiral Aralani, answers begin to fall into place. But as Thrawn's first command probes deeper into the vast stretch of space his people call the chaos, he realizes that the mission he has been given is not what it seems and the threat to the Ascendancy is only just beginning. Uh, This book was published in September of 2020, last year. Uh, Timothy Zahn, the author, has written multiple Star Wars expanded universe novels. Most of them, like 13 out of 16, uh, are about Thrawn. Um, He won a Hugo in 1984 for his novella Cascade Point. Mm -hmm. Uh, As I said, I am Madeline, uh, your host for this evening. Who all else is joining me tonight? I'm Lisa Eldred. I'm John Cableverde. I'm Joey Thurmond. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, Joey, this was your pick, correct? It was my pick, yes. Hey, uh, why did you want us to read this book for Book Club? I wanted to pick this book because despite its incredibly daunting title, (laughs) (laughs) it seems scary to somebody who may not be uh, too invested in Star Wars. But um, as Madeline mentioned in the uh, blurb on the back of the book, uh, the Chiss race is in the chaos, which is beyond the outer uh, rim of the Star Wars galaxy. And basically, that means the Chiss have almost nothing to do with the main Star Wars saga, like the whole, you know, Clone Wars, the Empire versus the Rebellion. You don't really have to know anything about Star Wars to get into this book. Uh, mm-hmm. I would even call it a spinoff of Star Wars because um, 
it's very friendly to uh, people who want to get into Star Wars who have never invested in it. You don't have to, you know, read any backstory or anything to a lot of these characters. Uh, it's actually uh, at the earliest point of uh, the main character Thrawn's life. So there's nothing to read before that. So yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a good Star Wars book to read for people who might not you know be invested in all the Star Wars books that are coming out. So a decently good entry place too if you're wanting to maybe get started in the Star Wars universe, but with something outside of like the movies, basically as well. Yes, Would and uh, yes, and also a great starting point for um, reading the other books that. Uh, talk about Thrawn, like being involved with um, the Empire, uh, his role in the Star Wars Rebels series. Like this book takes place way before all that stuff um, and kind of shows like how he wound up uh, getting involved with all that. Our origin story mm -hmm. for Thrawn. Very nice. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, this was pretty popular on our community vote for books uh, for this season. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to get any community members into our discussion LTN cons. We don't have any clips for you to share uh, from that. But our hope is that for future books, we will have lots of thoughts to share with you from community events on our uh, book club discussions that would happen every month. So pay attention uh, in the community and in our discord for announcements there for when we're going to be talking about future books. Um, with that, we are going to enter the spoiler zone. If you uh, have not read the book and you don't want to get spoiled, this would be your cue to get out. Otherwise, uh, we're going to go uh, into the chaos to talk about Thrawn. So Thrawn is, is really fascinating and is one of the most loved, sounds weird, but also quasi-appropriate, <laughs> maybe most lauded um, non-force-powered uh, Star Wars villains. Would you, would you say that's a fair assessment, Joey? I would. Um, whenever anyone brings up Star Wars Legends, which is all of the material, like books, books, uh, uh, comics, video games that came out before Disney reset the canon, the first thing that anyone thinks about or mentions is like the Thrawn trilogy uh, mm -hmm. by Timothy Zahn. So uh, getting to get kind of back into Thrawn's backstory here is, is um, juicy, I guess, <laughs> to, to get to know, to know a little bit more about him. Um, so there's some things that we learned about Thrawn here in this book uh, that are supposed to better color uh, the villain that we know from other Star Wars works. Um, one of the interesting things that we learn about Thrawn um, is his theories about art um, of other of other races of space dwelling uh, people um, that you can tell uh, by a people's art, um, basically what their military tactics are. And the way that they would fight, and maybe even how to how to defeat them in a if you were to face them on mm -hmm. on battle. I so um, I actually really enjoyed this part because it's really just culture analysis that he's doing through the art, and then extrapolating it towards how they would 
uh, fight in battle. Um, so it's it's really cool to hear him talk about like, well, if you notice, like this is made this way, and so like there was a was it a tea set that was made so delicately because they didn't even worry about it breaking because they, it was for the ruler, and the ruler changes all the time. There's a lot of political strife. Mm-hmm. And the next ruler is going to want to break it. And so making it durable and long lasting just doesn't benefit anyone. And so, because the new ruler is going to get pleasure from being able to break it. So they make everything very fragile. Um, and seeing those conversations with, uh, Ziara, uh, when they're in the academy together and, or not seeing, hearing them or reading them, um, it was really good to, like, I don't know. I really enjoyed those particular aspects of the book. Mm-hmm. And, because I do think that art does show us a lot about the people around us. Uh, the reaction of the Chiss to his theories just makes sense. Um, if you think about uh, a culture that doesn't really value the aesthetics or art as a whole, because uh, he kind of gets laughed at for these theories, um, which I mean, if, for most of us, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you, tend, you have been laughed at for <laughs> enjoyment of something that is not normally the norm. Uh, I'm sure. So uh, we can all kind of relate to that for sure. I do think it's interesting that he is so, I th- and I think it's more telling about Theron's character than anything, that he is so hyper-focused on, oh, what does art tell us about warfare? Um, I think, you know, probably each of us would come to art from any number of different perspectives. So like to me, it's more like art kind of tells us more like, what the individual worships maybe is, you know, and how the individual views the world. I mean, mm-hmm. and I even use worships as, you know, I don't think you can look at like any, you know, I'm not looking at like Andy Warhol and being like, oh, he worships like Marilyn Monroe or and Campbell's Campbell's <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> you know? um, but, you know, it's, I remember reading like 20 years ago now, so I barely remember it, but like Francis Schaeffer's How Should We Then Live and him going through like art history and, you know, talking about like what what the culture was doing at the time and why we moved from like hyper-realistic to like very, you know, stylized and post-bonner and styling and stuff like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I guess I bring this up of like Theron looking at that, like he could probably look at, you know, walk into any like art museum in America and maybe figure out something about warfare. But I feel like it just, it it's more like the fact that that's the lens that he automatically goes to is more telling about his character. Um, that said, I will, I do want to add. Um, so I personally am working through star Wars rebels right now, very, very slowly. Like I'm not quite done with season three. So I've had a couple of encounters, like basically as I was reading this book is when I was also seeing some of the Thrawn introductions. And I can't remember if it was right before or right after the art chapters um, where that really came in. But um, Thrawn had an encounter with Hera, one of the main characters of Rebels, and identified it was Hera because like she clearly cared about what to the normal eye looked like a worthless piece of art that he recognized as an important family heirloom. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are other episodes where it's like, um, you know, he's in basically for lack of a better word, his office um, on a star destroyer. And, you know, he's got like various art and he identifies all sorts of things based on the art that the characters are using. Um, so that was an interesting, like, kind of that, like, 
both his one-sided view of artwork, but also his attention to detail and understanding that it is an important thing. And like things like paint strokes matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is uh, his approach to art is probably the most personal. Well, other than a story that he tells about his sister, it's probably the most personal things that we get about Thrawn in this book, um, which is a little bit wild to me um, to have a protagonist in a book that you don't get any uh, like in- internal monologue narrative for at all. We we only get the narr- internal monologue narration for um, other characters, the supporting characters, and that in, are in scenes that Thrawn also happens to be in. Um, and so it's very interesting to have him as always the center of other people's attention. Um He's the protagonist. I would expect him to mm-hmm. be so, um, but also uh, to never hear what is going on inside his head. It makes Thrawn seem much more aloof, um, and it clouds his his internal thinking uh, in in mystery, certainly. But it also makes, for me personally, it made it difficult for me to uh, empathize with him as well as it as you could with a lot of other uh, characters in this book because you know what they're thinking uh, and you can see their motivations a little bit more clearly. Um, it's it actually makes... a, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, um, it's actually like a common thread, like through a lot of Zahn's writing where you never get like a, a first person perspective from Thrawn. I, I think like the closest that you do is uh, I'm, I'm actually re-listening to the, the Thrawn audiobook, like the first Disney canon uh, novel. And uh, there are these little like diary entries uh, by Thrawn and where he talks about like um, his, his tactics and um, how he analyzes people, how he studies warfare um and in reading in hearing all that again um it makes me think like it makes me wonder like if if timothy zahn like doesn't want people to really get inside his head because like you kind of see that he's a very mechanical person um like even with narration in some of the other books um the closest you get to thrawn's perspective is like these little snippets where you're you're looking at his thoughts and all it is is him paying very close attention to the facial expressions the mannerisms the facial heat of people and it's almost like he's like a computer <laughs> mm, <laughs> um mm-hmm. like he's he's merely analyzing and using people uh to his own ends and that sat that does sound like cruel and like he would do it for evil purposes uh it it is like a very um impersonal thing but um as you see like in this in this book like he, he does a lot of things for the good of like other people he like he'll save uh um like at one point in the in the chaos rising book uh he saves an entire um like yacht ship of sorts oh uh-huh. <laughs> like yep a, a people like a, when a cruise ship basically yeah like a cruise ship yeah basically <laughs> in space and um i think uh the character arlani like goes to like uh 
she heeds his call like to uh, come help him and she's like oh this this isn't gonna work and Franz very insistent about like getting it done even though it doesn't bring him like personal glory so his motives like despite his uh um his being impersonal uh are it, it's hard to read him <laughs> mm-hmm. like what he I wants think, personally yeah i think it's really interesting to because this this character gives us a look at neurodivergence in a culture that is very different than humanity because the chists are very different than humans but and then it's very obvious that Thrawn is not the norm for the Chiss ascendancy. Everyone else has this very rigid utilitarian culture and they know there's, they understand the social hierarchy and they're playing games of politics, like from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, they're trying to, to gain their way up into a higher place. And Thrawn, um, like he understands that that's happening around him, but he doesn't really, it doesn't compute, right? He doesn't really understand the intricacies of it completely and does stuff that will not bring in personal warrior gain. In fact, it makes his life more miserable because he breaks rules and, you know, makes people mad and does what he knows is right, even though, or what he thinks is right, even though it's not going to be what's the socially acceptable thing to do. Um, and I, I think that's really interesting and it's been really cool. I don't know. I actually really liked them as a character. Um, even though I didn't get his narration, uh, simply because like that, um, I I felt very much like he was one of my students who thinks very differently than me. Um, something that I kind of interact with on a daily basis. Uh, so it's just like a, I oh I, I I get this I see this I understand this and it it's um it's just like interacting with anybody else around you right you don't get their their first person narration either. Mm-hmm. Half the time they can't explain how or what they feel or how they feel it to, and like Thrawn repeatedly says, "I can't put it into words why I feel the way I do," and so you know Zahn doesn't put it into words for us either. Well, and I'm sitting here like again with my other main Thrawn experience being Rebels, where he's very, very definitely a villain. It's like, do we really want to get in the mind of a psychopath, even if he's somewhat of a heroic psychopath at this point? He is not a good guy in Rebels, like, very much, like, you know, he straight up murders, like, a, a, like a factory worker who was sabotaging things, but, you know, it's, yeah, it, you know, he just has this very cruel, analytical, like, overtone to him that just, you know... Yeah, I don't know how to say it other than he is very much a villain, and I don't. I've read other books where it's like, you know, I've started to get into that person's head, and you know, gotten a little bit too empathetic with them, and it's like, no, no, I can't, I can't do this to myself. Like, let me back up. Yeah, then the the third quarter betrayal is personal at that point. (laughs) Yeah, Um, this actually brings up a thought because earlier this this week, uh, a coworker was talking about a student and just talking about how quote-unquote like heartless they were because they're so blunt and matter-of-fact regarding decisions that we needed to make um and i was like i i don't understand how you like and so you could uh, perceive that as saying like this person comes across like a villain because of how blunt and matter-of-fact they are because they aren't considering other people's feelings in the decision and yet but uh, for me, like that didn't bother me at all. I didn't see that, and he was like, "Well, it's just all—it was all about experience and, and 
uh, framing of this of this narrative, right? Because like in his head, the narrative is very different than what it was in mine. Um, and so it's just Ferran as a character definitely feels like someone, and I, ha, as someone who hasn't really interacted with the character much outside mm-hmm. of this book, I love Star Wars, but I haven't seen Rebels. Um, mm-hmm. This is like my one introduction to Thrawn. Um, so because I just haven't really invested in the, I didn't invest in the Legends or the Expanded Universe when it was the Expanded Universe. Um, and then I haven't really had the time to invest in all the stuff that Disney's come out with. But I can see Thrawn's motives from the lens of the Republic coming across very much like he is a heartless son of a gun who mm-hmm. is going to further the Empire's game regardless of and do what he thinks is best for his people. Um, and then you flip it around and you come at it from the perspective of people who are his allies. And yeah, he's doing all these things and he comes across kind of like a hero, even though, I mean, some of the things he does like sending a child into a very dangerous situation just so that he can galvanize his society into actually doing something. Um, like that's not okay. Right. Yet that's one of the moments of the book where you're like, yay, Thrawn got the people off their butts to go help everyone. Mm-hmm. But like you also sent a nine year old into danger. So <laughs> yay. You know, yeah. <laughs> yay. I, yeah. I should back up a little bit and say like, he is not, a, he is not portrayed as a villain in this book at all. Like, you know, he is definitely a like mysterious hero. Um, you know, you could almost, I think Madeline commented, Oh, he's kind of like Sherlock Holmes in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. And this is my only, actually, this is my first Star Wars novel that I've read. Um, and like I said, I'm just slowly picking my way through Rebels where he's introduced, like, that's what introduced him back into the Star Wars canon, I think. Um, and so what I imagine is that there is some sort of trajectory between this novel, which is basically the beginning of his life, and then Rebels, which is possibly the end of his life there's hints in mandalorian that he might still be around but um you know there you're gonna have some sort of anakin skywalker sort of trajectory of like at some you know good guy going to bad guy um that you know probably takes place over the next three novels in particular to get to the point where he's you know Oh, hey, Rebel, you test out this piece of equipment that you built. Oh, you're claiming that it's about to explode? Sorry, you don't get to jump off. I'm just going to make it explode on you. Um, Like, very, very... Like, that's literally a scene that happens in the Rebels. Um, You know, and of course you've got the main characters watching in horror as this happens. Um, You know, these are, like, ruthless tactics that he has. Um that he's just doing and like cold calculating whatever um so yeah but it's just kind of one of those like i know for me as a reader like i don't necessarily want to like follow you know maybe another comparison is um thanos from um marvel right like you know the INTJ in me like from like Myers-Briggs can kind of see like you know Thanos is making what he thinks is a very logical decision you know Thrawn makes what he thinks are very logical decisions in this um but I don't necessarily need to be in his head while he's making these logical decisions that are that eventually will become through probably the course of his life completely evil decisions it's actually something that some people have uh, 
been iffy about with like his portrayal in Rebels versus his portrayal in the novels. Because he does, like, even in the ones that are closer to the events of the novels that are closer to the events of Rebels, in, in the novels, he's like portrayed as more heroic, <laughs> like, even as a grand admiral in the um, uh, Imperial fleet. Uh, and some people have made, um, some good observations that um, Thrawn pledges his like loyalty to the Empire, but he does so in order to have a strong ally for when the Chiss Ascendancy um, needs them again. Because even though he was exiled from the Chiss Ascendancy, um, he uh, is still like he still wants to protect them. He still wants to be loyal to them despite uh, their disagreeing with him. Uh, so I feel like in Rebels, you see like the years being in the Empire, like in the machine, has turned him into a more cold and ruthless person where he does less things for um, the heroism and more for the sake of... Um, the empire's uh, existence to dominate all civilizations mm -hmm. and rule with an iron fist uh, in the star Wars galaxy. So he seems, um, uh, Oh, like, uh, Oh, what do you call it? Um, it's um, like adjusting your politics for the, um, for your own benefit. Like uh, mm. what's it, what's it called? Um, confirmation bias or uh moving the goalposts or like moving the goalposts uh something like that mm -hmm. um like he he does that for the sake of like again utilitarianism uh like he has a like this is for the the good of the just people and i and if i have to be like a more like uh ruthless uh imperial ruler to do so then it is what it is, and he'll he'll give up his uh, populist. By the way, that that was it. Okay, <laughs> like you. a pop, like a populist, uh, um, like angle. And I wanted to circle back to something uh, you said, John, about the um, neurodivergency. Uh, of the like a uh, chess culture um in, in reading especially this book i i, I kind of wondered if uh if zahn actually um coded thrawn to exhibit like traits of autism mm. or asperger's right. yeah. and uh, i looked it up and there are a lot of people that have Asked, asked about this and like made this observation too uh, because of like many of his uh, traits with regard to how he um, how he expresses his emotions um, how he relates to other people and even how his mind works um, and uh, in, in this book in particular it's almost like it's um, it's a positive representation of that for like how it can, how something like Asperger's or um, autism can allow you to see answers to uh, issues and problems that no one else can. Uh, and 
I, I'm not sure if that was Zahn's intention or not, but uh, apparently like a lot of other people have uh, thought the same thing. And um, it's really interesting to think about like uh, with that possibly being an angle that Zahn took on uh, Franz uh, neurodiversity. Yeah, as I mean, as a teacher, it's something that I've always kind of got an eye out for, because it's like my eyes are always looking to make sure my students are getting the best and they can, the best help they can, and if they need to be sent to a diagnostician, then we need to do that. Um, so reading through Zod, I mean, he des- definitely has some telltale markers of autism spectrum disorder, or yeah, that's the technical term for it now. ASD. He's on the spectrum, um, but then it becomes a question of: Is it just high intelligence that co- that represents right. itself, like shows itself as kind of borderline spectrum behavior, or is it legitimate, you know, neurodivergent like autism spectrum disorder, or is it ADHD, ADD? Like, because he seems to be hyper focusing, and so yep. it's just there's That's a lot of one. there's a lot of uh, overlap where all of those areas are concerned. Um, that even we like that. Well, there's still research that needs to be done. Heck, I'm pretty sure I actually have ADD and I'm a high achiever and would never have been diagnosed as a child because I was never hyperactive. But uh, my doctor is sending me to a psychiatrist. So, you know, yay. like, uh, yay. No, that is a yay. Yay for therapy. Yeah. Yay for yay diagnosis. For yay for yes. tools. <laughs> yeah, because he prescribed me uh, an amphetamine and it made me actually normal um and so it was just like okay <laughs> like i didn't have to hyper focus on stuff anymore and i was like hey this i know that as a teacher i know that being on this drug and having this reaction probably means i need to go get diagnosed I was like, you're right um so it's just it's fun to uh, uh for me as a teacher and because i'm constantly dealing with molding and shaping other people's brains um to think about him from a from that perspective was really interesting um and i also, I'm probably going to be the most empathetic towards him simply because, like, that's my job. I get to empathize with all the all the all the weird, all the weirdos, <laughs> all the people, all the random people that are in my classroom because everybody's different, and I get that's, that's just what I do. Like, okay, I just see, I try to see the good in all of them. So, it's just mm-hmm. you know, where I'm coming from. And Joey like- had talked. Yes, this is a good segue into that. <laughs> I feel like with uh, your uh, great approach to meeting your students' needs, uh, like that's also something that applies to uh, Thrawn as a uh, as a teacher to his um, his his colleagues. Um, does anyone want to speak to that? Uh, I want Joey to speak to it because he spoke about it in our notes uh, when we were reading this book. So speak about it. All right. I'll go first. Um, But um, then this is something I noticed uh, years ago, like back in, back while I was doing my master's degree for, um, uh, in English. And I was reading about like pedagogical, uh, like methods, like for teachers. And I read at the first like Disney Thrawn book and I'm like whoa like Thrawn is like an act like even though he's you know kind of he's an anti-hero <laughs> villain hero depends on like which book you're reading um but e- even still like no matter disregarding that uh the way that he um the way that he talks to and helps people around him like is 
loaded with uh, great examples of how teachers can um, help their students out. Um, one thing like you always see like in Zahn's books with Rom is that he doesn't keep his strategies and his reasoning to himself. He always works these things uh, out out loud. Mm -hmm. And he's not just, you know, uh, giving a monologue <laughs> about like uh, what he thinks about something. He, he asks people around him uh, to work through the, the problems at hand and get them to figure it out for themselves by giving them uh, hints, by asking questions, uh, going through the whole process of like making all those links and deductive reasoning and all that. Um, so he sees uh, when people don't understand what's going on and instead of like explaining things at them, like expecting them to just get it, you know, right off the cuff. Uh, he he walks them through everything, like so that they're on the same wavelength as he is. Um, and there's another um, there's another awesome scene in the book where he uh, he recognizes that uh, this young girl named Cherie. Uh, is frightened of uh, space travel. And the reason why that she was is that she can't pilot a spaceship because uh, she's a kid and she hasn't had formal training. So what Thrawn does is he lets her uh, do that for herself by guiding her uh, through the process of like how to fly a spaceship and He's patient. He's um, gives he's her pilot receptive. lessons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's giving her pilot lessons. Like I think he, I think they, um, I think Zahn says like it went on for hours, or whatever, or longer, uh, with her like you know traveling. It to was other like places. weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I forgot like yeah, if that was too weeks. long, but yeah, it was, it was like, like a long because they <laughs> travel like together weeks. to they travel together to the main part of the galaxy like through the chaos into right isn't she in mm -hmm. on that mission when he goes it's and the two has a them. rendezvous with, with skywalker so mm -hmm. like with anakin not not skywalkers but skywalker <laughs> uh, yeah that's another thing uh, to talk about later <laughs> um, but no that was that was the scene where i knew that i loved thron was because he is such a good teacher and he is such a good like he sees children as people, mostly probably because he doesn't know any different because he yes. doesn't realize that they can't not, they're not meant to be seen like everybody else around him, but he just treats them like a little, like he treats them like everybody else. Um, mm -hmm. and he is so yes. didactic and Socratic in how he interacts with them, with everyone, but specifically his relationship with Sheree, like that relationship is what sealed the deal for me is why I really mm -hmm. like Thrawn. Um, because I don't know, I'm a teacher. That's just, how get on my good side by being nice to nice to kids. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and as as Thrawn pays attention to um, Cherie, this uh, young girl, uh, he pays attention to a lot of people in his life um, on a very specific personal level, um, to the point where maybe most other people in their life don't remember. Like he meets a navigator once for like 
30 minutes and then like remembers what his favorite tea is like 10 years later when he sees him again. Um, he's very uh, detail oriented. Um, but oftentimes this is because this information he uses to help, um, motivate people uh to see things his way uh to put it nicely Mm -hmm. um a lot of times he he does this to get people to be on his side to agree with him to go along with his plans um because it comes back to his utilitarian approach uh to having people in his life um and it's very interesting that he is so detail oriented when it comes to individual relationships um, with himself. Uh, But they say repeatedly how bad Thrawn is at politics, um, that he does not care about what other people think um, necessarily about him if they don't come into contact with him personally. Uh, And he doesn't care about what their goals are for themselves and their, their movement in society as a whole, uh, which is wild to me that, that you can pay so much attention to people on that, on that individual level and still like feel absolutely out of your depth when it comes to other people's movements throughout their lives as well. Um, and I, and I suppose that comes back to what we were talking about with neurodivergence where it's, I, I can think about things when it comes to relationship to me, but when it comes Mm -hmm. to other people and their um, thoughts about themselves as well that can be more difficult yeah i was gonna say like it's, it could just be a processing thing too like because it's not in proximity to me and so i just can't i don't process the information the same way because it's mm-hmm. not in proximity to me mm-hmm. um and just that that geographical like proximity yep. leads to greater hyper focusing and attention to detail that doesn't exist when you're outside my orbit um but yeah but it does definitely bring more towards the more divergent side of who Thrawn is. And we've talked a lot about Thrawn specifically being utilitarian, but that's absolutely not um, unheard of when it comes to the Chiss people. Um, the the Chiss homeworld we'll talk about here a little bit, but utilitarian structure is very much in line with uh, with Chiss thinking and with their approach to. Um, uh, their family life, um, and to some extent with their foreign policy, um, a lot, a lot of things, uh, in, in just life can be reduced back to utilitarianism. Mm-hmm. Like even their names, right? Cause like, so Thrawn's full name is something that I probably it's will not It's me, Thrawn Yorodo. Beautiful. Thank you, Joey. Like, are, you, are, are you sure? <laughs> but but yes. that's not his birth name, right? Because his birth name is uh Kivuranu, right? Like something like that. And so because he mm-hmm. he he is adopted into a different family, so the first part of his name changes. Then he's got his middle name, the like raw, raw part is like what stays the same. And then the Nuru, Nurodo stuff changes based off of the function that he serves in society. And so you have a very, what, so for, you know, for our society, names are meant to, names serve a function, right? Because they help us identify ourselves, but they also have a purpose of being beautiful. And we pick names that combine well with one another, or they carry family history, whatever. And like, 
I don't know about the raw part. I don't know where that came, comes from because that's like his, his like root name, but like everything else around it is completely just so that people can del- to tell who he is, who he belongs to and what he does. Um, and then even then we don't say that whole name all the time. We call him Thrawn. They take their names and they shorten them and everyone has a, has a nickname because who wants to say the whole thing all the time? Right. And so, and that nickname changes throughout your life based off of whether or not you are part of a family or not. So like, Arlani, when she's part of her family before becoming an admiral, her name is Ziara. Her core name is Ziara. And then when she is removed from her family and elevated to, to the admiral rank, she becomes Arlani. Um, and so that name changes. And so there's no sense of like permanency when it comes to the name. It's purely utilitarian. Well, so. And can we talk about how messed up that must be for like families of you there's no guarantee that you will be a member of the family that you were born into Mm. like you know you don't necessarily have a sense that well you even um when ziara become like becomes an admiral who like their military is outside of families very intentionally you know and so she loses the z part of her name and just becomes arlani um, you know, she talks about the fact that like, oh no, what's my life going to be? I'm not going to be part of the your easy family anymore. Like it you almost feel like I don't know, like well, does she like do do parents matter in this? You know, like Or even like she loses all connections to family politics, mm-hmm. which the families run the social aspect of the of the government and all of that. And so like she you constantly see her back and forth with her her first mate, I don't, I don't remember the actual title, but her like, you know, her main underling, her second, um, yeah, yeah, who is, uh, who is still part of her family, and so she has those connections, and she can get the gossip, and she can, you know, she can help play the politic game. But Arlani is so removed from all of that because she's no longer part of the Rizzi family, uh, even though the Rizzi family is one of the main families, and she would have had those connections in before becoming admiral now she doesn't have them um which is so weird because like you think people would grow attached to one another because you're family relationships mm-hmm. but again the family exists purely for the role that they play in society and if you don't benefit the family you don't stay in the family um especially if you've been adopted which is also mm-hmm. like it just it's just this whole scenario this whole structure definitely screams like Roman Empire to me, um, and how adoption worked in the Roman Empire, or even freemen, um, like slaves and freemen, and the relations, the, like becoming a full Roman citizen as opposed to being just a freeman versus like being an adoptee into a family versus being the paterfamilias, and like what that relationship looked like. And so, they're, they're, the Roman Empire family structure is also very complicated um, and very much utilitarian and not so much based off love or family relationship um and so i feel like i don't know joey did, does anyone ask son if he built this off of first century rome <laughs> i don't know but maybe <laughs> i was like you're, you're, curious, our, you're, our, you're our source so, because it does mm-hmm. it does feel it does feel very much so you know in my very limited understanding of first century roman family structure as it relates to how Christianity subverted the first century Roman family structure. Um, <laughs> it seems very, very much based off of that. So. 
Yeah, this is uh, something that's only been explored like with this new trilogy that he's mm-hmm. developing with starting with Chaos Rising. Uh, like, no one really knew what like Mithron Yorodo like actually really meant, meant. back then, uh, yeah, or even yeah. like with the the first Disney trilogy they did. Um, they explain it a little bit, but in this book is where they have like uh, where Zahn has really explained like uh, um, how it works in that society and. Uh, I want to circle back to like how another character in this book is a great example of that. Uh, Mithaliastov. Uh, it's a, uh, she goes by Thalias and um, she is uh, taken from her family at a very young age. And at one point in the book, she remarks about like how she only has like impressions of them uh, and doesn't know where they are like where they wound up like over the years after being uh, taken into the Meath uh, family um, because she was a Skywalker, which by the way, a Skywalker is not like, to explain that further now, um, is not like Anakin Skywalker. Um, <laughs> it's it's almost like a, a, a figurative Skywalker where these, uh, these young girl chess are force sensitive. And they are taken into the military to help spaceships navigate the chaos, which is like the surrounding space around uh, the Chiss homeworld. Because there's a lot of like uh, debris, asteroids, like supernovas that happened. So they need uh, a navigator sensitive in the force to. Um, navigate all that because they don't have uh hyperspace lanes which are all like in the uh republic part of space um so they they basically have to play space travel uh by ear by using the force (laughs) Um, it's like it's like space travel frogger using the force you gotta wait for you gotta wait for the lane to open up and then you jump and then you wait and so by using the force you instead of doing jump to jump the force user can precog uh, what's coming, so they can start preparing for it. Scooch around. Except somehow the, except somehow the only uh, force sensitive among the chiss are like nine to thirteen year old girls. But, and then you get and your period, always... and then everything's <laughs> ruined for the rest of your life. But really, though, like that's basically <laughs> what happens: is they hit puberty and they lose their force sensitivity. Which, except for like one character, I, this is something that I actually did research as I was reading the book because I was like, "What the heck? Like, this doesn't make any sense." Because like I can play a chiss character in Swarter, so like, what's going on? Um, and that is force sensitive. So like, what's going on here? But I guess that's canon that like chiss is a as a race or species don't lose their force sensitivity and it's very rare that any male are sensitive to the force and it's usually female except for there's one character who somehow prolongs her force sensitivity and they still don't we still don't know how she does it so joey you could probably speak more to that because you're you're mr star wars but there are uh different alien races that relate to the force uh differently like obviously what's commonly known is like you know moving stuff in the air and um <laughs> doing force push and you know all the powers and whatnot but um some alien races relate to it more like purely in a spiritual sense um 
Some use it for exclusively for prophecy, telling the future without all the power parts. <laughs> um, uh, it, it varies from species to species, and um, like the the chis in particular, like with with how their force sensitivity works, like only at a specific age range and a specific gender, is pretty strange <laughs> uh it's, it's not something that is uh common in the star wars universe because everybody everybody has like midi-chlorians to some extent which makes them <laughs> sensitive so when it comes to the chess like maybe their midi-chlorians die out like um like i wonder while if it has to do with the years. exposure to radiation mm-hmm. that the race has experienced over time because in the in the Republic era, because you can play a Chiss like force sensitive adult in the Old Republic, which is somewhat canon. Um, so like there's that's that's but that's like a era that's eras ago, right? Like it's a long time ago in Star Wars history. So I don't. And then you, you know, are the correct that there were force sensitive Chiss like in yeah earlier times. Yeah. Yeah. So and then their sun blew up and blew up the planet or made the planet un- or like uninhabitable. And there's a lot of like obviously they live in a world where there's a lot they live in a part of the galaxy where there's a lot of solar winds and radiation and unstable um like phenomena that are happening that are traveling through space that's probably radiation based. And so it would be interesting to think about in terms of biology what that would look like. Yeah, I wonder if I mean since Priscoids are a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Jet and like genetics might be because wouldn't you say that the navigators are also basically like navigating via the force like that's oh yeah this- absolutely mm-hmm. the, because uh, what does he call it the great the great uh, presence the great presence yeah, yeah. because you know to complicate things it's not like the existence of skywalkers are secret um but the other races in this like for i think it's a four star system is what they describe it as like in the chaos um basically the local chiss neighbors who they actually do interact with they travel via navigator um, who like the one that we actively and like work with in the story is an adult male. Um, the like nonchis, I forget what race he was, but um, yeah. So it can't just be radiation because, like, I wouldn't. But I think Joey has a good point. Like thinking through, like watching the Clone Wars and seeing like various things, like. You know, you've got the Night Sisters or whatever who were like basically, you know, oh, we're, we That's use magic. One. It's yeah. like the Force. <laughs> um, you know, well, you have even, like, um, yeah. If you look at the different races within the Jedi Order, like uh, the Twi'leks mm-hmm. have a certain way of kind of interacting with the Force when they become Jedi versus like, uh, oh gosh, the Takruta. Um, I don't know. They just seem to come across like whenever you meet uh, a Jedi that's a particular alien race, they tend to kind of all fla- go into the same basic flavor. It's very rare that you see um, like two Twi'leks interacting with the Force in a very different way, mm-hmm. unless one has a weird history because the Twi'leks are everywhere. But like, um, or like Yoda, right? Like Yoda is a classic example, and then we have Grogu later on, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like they both have this very similar way that they're interacting with the force based off of the fact that they are of the same alien mm-hmm. species. They both, you know, Grogu gives off Yoda vibes, even though Grogu has probably either rarely met Yoda or like barely met Yoda. 
Um, if at all. And has very little interaction with him at some point, probably. Who knows? Maybe we'll find out in the next season of The Mandalorian. But, <laughs> like, it's just, you know, it's it's interesting to think about, in terms, except for humanity. You know, humans are weird, and we all interact with things differently, and so we get to yeah. choose how we live our lives. Yeah. But you need those alien races have- there. They're, they're like, um, the, the Chiss is like, uh, being like less sensitive to the force may also have to do with the, mm-hmm. this is like really nerdy. Like, uh, <laughs> there's like, this is like the special episode of Clone Wars where like Yoda visits like the home world, like the birthplace oh, yeah. of the force. And like, no one oh, knows wow. where it is in the, in like the main galaxy, but maybe like the, the Chiss are as a people like are so far away from that presence or maybe like there's such a divergent like uh species species that like they don't have many midichlorians or something like mm-hmm. maybe that's why like their connection are there isolationism has removed them from exposure to <laughs> midichlorians they don't have them inheriting from person to person i mean this might or, like, be a nature have- like yeah to get into nature versus nurture a little bit i almost wonder if it is if it's maybe more of a nurturing issue one like the chists don't use the term the force like that's just not part of the, their vocabulary in this um and in fact like there's a brief period where Theron and um shuri encounter anakin skywalker this is set during the clone wars period um and like they look at like they hear the name Skywalker and they're just like, is that a translation error? What? Like because <laughs> sti- like Skywalkers can only be like thirteen year old girls or whatever. Um, <laughs> but so this brings. I wonder if there's a little bit like so you get into a little bit of like Skywalkers and like what their life is like. And basically, these are kids who are pulled away from their parents, kind of like the Jedi Order in that trained yeah. to navigate through space. Um, but you get into this whole, like, and I wonder if it's explored in later books. Um, basically each of these girls is assigned a female care, uh, caregiver, um, who is Thalias in this particular book. Um, Thalias is remarkable in that she is basically the only caregiver of a Skywalker who herself was a Skywalker. And I almost wonder if there's something like, so most of these caregivers just like, they don't understand the literal like pressure on the, like on these young girls. Um, And I almost wonder if there's some sort of like, you know, you can get into attachment theory a little bit of like, you know, how close is parenting style and whatnot, like what sort of like safety net and family relationships do you have? Um, Shuri, I forget how many like caregivers she had, but like when Thalias walks in, it's like, you know, oh, you're like my third mom-ish, um, I think is what she calls her, if, or whatever. You know, she had had multiple mother figures, basically, who all just kind of walked out and like never connected. And so I almost wonder if it's one of those, like, they're just, because the Chiss are so utilitarian, like it's basically like as opposed to let's nurture these resources and let's nurture the force in you it's more let's drain the force until you just can't do it anymore and like maybe it's even just a psychological block that goes up like you know their body just can't like handle the force yeah. anymore because it's so stressful right because they have to go into a trance and they have they they as a 9 year old right are in, are in charge of helping 
um, the entire like armada, basically mm-hmm. nine year old stuff, the armada like navigate space, you know, and they never know if they're going to show up and be in the middle of a battle. No pressure. Mm-hmm. No pressure. And if they get lost, like they you know, people get mad. Like the that politician who is like on the bridge when Chewie's trying to help them get to a certain place, and he's just like getting mad at her because she's taking too long. But everyone's like, bruh, like it was a more difficult thing than, than we realized because there wasn't enough pockets for her to jump through, like calm down. And he's like, no, I need to blah, blah, blah. I'm important. And like this poor little nine year old is sitting there like trying to do her job. Mm-hmm. Luckily by this point, Don is, has really invested in her so that she has a little bit more self-worth and Thalius, the two of them together. Mm-hmm. But like, and Arlani. But, like, and, and Arlani. Arlani. Yeah, she does and really Arlani. <laughs> the fourth mom-ish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she like the, the the cast of this show this group is is just very nurturing and caring to this one Skywalker and it's wonderful. Um so that she's she's fine. But like it's it was just like this is I could definitely see how as a defense mechanism these girls would start to develop uh like a, a block essentially for, to be able to keep themselves from accessing the force so that they don't have to deal with it anymore. Um, because when Thalius tries to sense the great presence, right, she's like next to the other navigator and she seems like she should be able to sense him because she, they're both forces to, like, she can't feel anything at all. And like that, and that seems, it's probably, it seems very interestingly psychological because I know like other force users, the ability to sense the force, like, is something that you give up either is like ripped from you or something that you give up of your own accord. It's not something that like just kind of peters out uh, over time, at least in my experience with the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. which is admittedly not very much, but <laughs> I, I was just thinking like that um, Luke is a, a good example of that, like in last Jedi where mm. he, uh, he does like willingly cut himself off from the force. But part of me wonders if, uh, if some of that has to do with the depression and mm. like the, the trauma of like having uh, Ben Solo betray him and like having the whole Jedi temple he was building um, like burn to the ground, um, like all, all mm-hmm. that emotional baggage, like is maybe part of the reason, like why he uh, became distant from mm. the force. That and he has the ability to overcome it, right? Because he yes, ends up, mm-hmm. He ends well, up saving the day and, and becoming super awesome. I mean, yeah. but Luke Luke chose to give up the force is the implication right. that you get. Like mm-hmm. he chooses to disconnect himself. Ultimately. Like yeah. these yeah, these young girls, I think and I think that's the difference of just like, you know, these are <laughs> as madeline said like you know basically they hit puberty and they're done and it's kind of one of those like but like there's they're very real they have like their bodies are developing like their brains are developing the brain of a child is very very malleable and you know the i can see it kind of being like it's more of the involuntary and because it was involuntary and like it happened at such a young age it's getting cut off from them and like they would have to probably like not to say that like you know Thalias could never learn to use the force again but like she would probably almost have to go to therapy essentially to work through the trauma that happened to her when she was like you know 11 years old and already retired or whatever Mm -hmm. um 
all of this might be like putting more thought into it than Zan necessarily did. It would be interesting to like hear if he had any or read further to see like how the Skywalkers are developed and see if there's more going on there. But and you could even take it further and say like maybe it's the whole Chiss's philosophy and like conception mm-hmm. like of the Force that makes them not be able to tune in with it. Um, mm-hmm. Or like it maybe just is just a part of it because um, again to bring up Last Jedi, uh, Luke tells Ray that like the Force is not a power you have; it's an energy force that's like outside of yourself. And I feel like uh, the Chiss don't treat the Force like that. They they treat it like this internal tool to mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. Uh, that just happens yeah. to disappear for whatever reason. Uh, instead of just instead of like this cosmic spiritual uh, like reality that exists, connection. Um, mm-hmm. connection that exists outside of themselves, so that that may uh, play a part in it too with uh, that. We briefly mentioned, and I do want to talk just a little bit about this uh, before we before we uh, try and close. Um, just foreign policy. Uh, Thrawn talks about how uh, when we meet him uh, initially, uh, uh, not in this book, but the first time Thrawn ever appeared in Star Wars, kind of, we we heard that he was ex- exiled from his people because of disagreements about uh, preemptive strikes. Um, and we see a lot of the origin of that uh, within this book. Um, just foreign policy seems to be such that uh, we don't get involved unless uh, we've been attacked sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, and John was kind of talking about this before we started recording, how it was frustrating that we start out with an attack on Chiss soil uh, from uh, from a foreign power. Uh, that- an attack on a mostly uninhabited planet. But that is still the home base, and so therefore it is important, even though no one really lives there anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- the foreign power was dealt with, but Thrawn said, "Hey, you know this. The optics aren't right. Something else is going on here. There's something else involved." That's Thrawn's big um, pursuit uh, throughout the book is trying to kind of pin down uh, the the big villain uh, behind this. Um, Yiv, right? That's the guy? Yiv, yeah. Yiv the Benevolent. Yiv the Benevolent. I keep wanting to say Yig, but that's the snake god from Lovecraft. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So Thrawn um, basically has to, the reason that Thrawn puts uh, Cherry and Thalius in danger and the reason that uh, the reason that he, he makes well, doesn't make cheery, but the reason that he he says, "Hey, uh, you, um, you know, massive military uh, resource that is a that is a ten year old girl, um, wouldn't you like to go with me on a non sanctioned field trip for six weeks and learn how to be a pilot while nobody knows where you are or where I am, and then uh, I put you in danger, and then uh, the uh, the expansionary fleet has to come in and and t- make an attack on the big bad guy because now you're under threat and a hostage. Um, it's it's telling on on both fronts because. Uh, 
nobody in in the Chisholm world really wants to pursue anything past the surface level of the initial attack that we see on their home world at the beginning of the book. Um, and, and I think that the reason personally, the reason why is because there wasn't really political gain to be had and that it's only, it's only expense. It's only spending money and it's courting trouble uh, at that point to a lot of the politicians. Um, but Thrawn uh, is willing to use any means necessary um, to pursue this uh to as far as as he feels is necessary uh to to find out what's going on and to address it um and so it's interesting how uh there's a lot of parallels um between certain um global powers and and when when they decide to intervene and when they decide not to intervene um uh as well as um when when we can rationalize tremendous expense um, and uh, risk, and when we can't. And not even like any any power, right? Not just global powers. Like I'm thinking of a certain um, affiliation of churches that's currently being in, in the news right now, and how they're rationalizing when to step in and when not to step in with various issues that are going on in the different churches that are part of their association and it, this is a parallel so <laughs> yep. lisa's just laughing because she knows what i'm talking about yep. it's great. <laughs> but yeah so and, i mean we we don't want to give up comfort plus authority right comfort plus authority equals complacency and we don't want to change um so it's yeah yep absolutely um Anything else uh, that you feel like we need to mention about the book before we kind of wrap up here? Okay. Um, questions, questions that we're left with at the end of this book then. So at the end of the book, we're introduced to the real big bad, right? Kind of. Kind of the end? Maybe. Yeah. Sort of. Right. <laughs> sort of. We're introduced to another big bad. Who seems to be a bigger bad than Yiv. But I want to know who the big bad is. Because there's a part of me that just can't let go of the fact that this big bad has to be somehow related to the Republic. Or, like, to the greater galaxy, you know? Because, like, it's Force-related. Mm -hmm. It seems to be almost Sith-related. But, like, not necessarily because the Sith don't exist. At, like, you know, because it's not... It's outside the main drama. This is the middle of the Clone Wars. But is it Palpatine? Like Palpatine running around doing stuff out here? <laughs> well, because he can't really, he can't be out in the open because it's still the Clone Wars, right? Um, or Darth Sidious. So, uh, like, sorry. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's Palpatine right now, but he's Darth Sidious over here. So, like, is he the real big bad? I want to know who the big bad is. And I know that the third book in, of the trilogy comes out this year. And I really need to do the second one. So. Yeah. I I personally want to know more about the other ruling families like of the Chiss homeworld because oh where's that chart I have uh cuz we really only get a look at half of them like and not, in and not even book. that deeply. Mhm. Mm yes, and like surface level. So, um I'd be interested to see like you know, what these other families are about, uh, what kind of influence they have, like the unique influences they have on 
society and like what's you know their their quirks like what makes them unique um like uh, zon does so much like of his own world building uh in this book because he, he has the chance to uh like just go into town like with like his own home world and his own uh alien race with his own society and everything so uh i'm really curious to see how he uh expands on that and uh even uses it for all these uh um, issues that come up in this book like in exploring them uh further with utilitarianism and uh the uh their poor management of children <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and all of these things <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah my question is pretty simple it's what happens next i mean but more realistically what turns the thron that we meet in this book into the thron that we meet in rebels um who is you know yeah, maybe like maybe he's painted so negatively because the Empire is very clearly the enemy there, but you know, and so maybe it's a little bit of an unfair treatment. But you know, you've got someone who's like very much focused on the good of the Chiss, but even more than the good of the Chiss, and turning that to someone who is so like again, utterly ruthless in some of his tactics. What about you, Madeline? I really want, like, the Navigators and the Voidwalkers, even though we get a little bit um, about them, and I think, um, personally, I want, like, the, oh, crap, the Navigator that we interact with the most in this book, whose name is, I don't have. Kilori. Kilori. Yeah, Kilori. Like, I, I want... Uh, navigators take jobs and then come back to the the house and talk about like talk bad about their clients and then um have to go pick up new jobs and then leave and then come back and talk bad about their clients like i want the the like the uh what is it called like the guild house um scuttlebutt honestly <laughs> is, is what i would be after <laughs> because that would be like the the best for me, that would be a really easy way to get shorthand on all the different, like the comings and goings kind of in, in a certain corner of the galaxy is just to hang out with the people who are just doing all the driving um, and hear like what they're, you know, they're not supposed to be involved. Uh, that was Keeler's deal. He's not supposed mm-hmm. to be involved in politics, politics. He's not supposed to mm-hmm. take sides. You're just supposed to do the job, get paid and then leave. Um, and so to, to kind of get to see, what their um, their theories and their and their postulation about who's doing what, and if you end up having to like face off against another navigator or like that would be cool. That would be my dream, but we'll see. <laughs> um, so if you liked uh, Star Wars: Thrawn Ascendancy Book One, Chaos Rising, uh, there are two more books in the series um let's see other books in this series scroll all the way to the top here uh greater good and lesser evil number two is called greater good number three is called lesser evil number three comes out november 16th so less than a month from the date of our recording um but 
Timothy Zahn has written a whole bunch of other Star Wars books as well, and most of them about Thrawn. Do you have other recommendations um, on which ones would be good to start with, uh, Joey? Should they go in chronological order? Hmm. I feel like you could certainly go in uh, chronological order if you want. You could go in release order with the Disney canon. And the, the original Thrawn trilogy is like a... It's really foundational to a lot of stuff that happened in Star Wars Legends. Uh, it's a, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a seminal piece of work, like for, um, like that the Star Wars universe, like when it was being uh, handled by all those different creators, like you know after the original trilogy and during the prequel era and all that stuff. So even though it's not canon anymore, it's a fascinating look into, you know, what that universe was like and how it was developing and you know even uh Thrawn being a little different as well like differences in like uh you know what 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 Zahn considered the Clone Wars to be like before that ever happened like with the prequel movies yeah. uh so Luke uh meeting well it doesn't happen in that book but like uh, meeting Mara Jade who is a major character uh, in legends, um, on, and, and more. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are probably more, uh, star Wars books in general than there are the stars in the sky. Just about. <laughs> um, so if, if Thrawn in particular is not your cup of tea, I guarantee that there is at least one or two books, um, that would be a storyline that you would enjoy or a character that you would do like. The, there's a million about the Jedi, uh, but there's a lot about um, other non-Force powered characters as well in in the Star Wars universe. So if you are even mildly interested, get on your search engine and you can find um, a story in the Star Wars universe for you. Um, outside of Star Wars, um, what what recommendations might we make for people? We brought this up earlier, but Three Parts Dead by Max Gladstone is a book that comes to mind. Um, it does have that like investigative feel to it. Um, there is a kind of almost um, disregard for other people and how, pe- how the protagonist uses other people around them for their own benefits kind of feel going on whether you know so th- there is there are similar things that go alongside it obviously it's a little different it's not star warsy it's not it's space, not space. <laughs> uh, it's not but it is it does have that feel that you are trying to unpack the mystery um and if you if you do end up reading that book after reading this one we did a podcast about it and i really enjoyed the series so much mm-hmm. so that i actually finished i finished the series it's great wonderful. Lots, those five those the five bucks and they're wonderful so yeah, Ender's Game also came to mind um, just in terms of like some of the use of young children for military purposes and tactics. Um, you know, especially yeah, especially as you get into some of the later books in the series or like the parallel stories where it's like from Bean's point of view, um, you can kind of get into a little bit more of the like politics or. There's some, I think Joey commented that this is basically Star Trek in the Star Wars universe, like with some of the command deck stuff going on. Um, and so kind of the Ender's Game has similar, like those books have similar feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely get into Ender's character as you move into the Speaker from the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And Ender does have very much very Thrawn like feel to him as a as a kind of like a battle savant character. Um, Only you actually get into his head. <laughs> yeah, you, and that's it's trippy. Um, uh, other things like Sherlock or maybe the Poirot books uh, by Agatha Christie. Uh, you know, very very uh, smart deductive reasoning types who like to solve the mysteries around them. Um, and have very interesting relationships with the people around them, too. Thrawn um, does come across very much like a Sherlock character. Um, he does a lot of so. research. He goes undercover. Um, he, like, I I commented when I was reading here that, like, if Thrawn had been maybe a little bit better at people, he should have gotten a job in intelligence instead of mm-hmm. as a, um, a tactics officer. Um, yeah. Just because of like the level that he cares about doing the groundwork himself, um, and also yeah. like maybe Thron, if you're uh, an admiral, you shouldn't be going on so many away missions. Just, but or he likes to have witty sideline conversations with his nemesis in the middle of a party. Very very Bondian kind yes. of like <laughs> we're gonna talk about each other but not talk about each other. That whole scene just still makes me uncomfortable. Um, and so, yeah, and Poirot, I mean, he's not as socially inept as Sherlock or Throne, but he's still a bit weird, so. <laughs> he's Belgian, give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, thank you all for joining me this evening. Uh, tell me again who you are and where we can find you on the internet. I'm Lisa Eldred, you can find me on Twitter at First Crusader, or my website is wasabijane.com. And I'm John Campo Verde. Gosh. Uh, John Campo Verde. You can find me on Twitter at, at jcamp underscore over underscore day, D A Y, or on Twitch at twitch.tv slash alension. That's A L L E N T I O N. And I'm Joey Thurmond. You can find me on Twitter at save as doc, S A V E A S D O C. Or uh, you can check out uh, some other stuff I've written uh, at saveasdoc.com. And I'm Madeline Turnipseed. You can find me on Twitter occasionally at mad underscore seed, mostly uh, promoting stuff that I do for Love Thy Nerd. Um, everybody that's on this podcast has written uh, for Love Thy Nerd. You can find their work at lovethynerd.com. Um, you can also find us around the Love Thy Nerd Discord and uh, Facebook community. Uh, if you have joined us, uh, I hope that you will join us as well on the LTN community on Facebook and on Discord, um, and uh, to the extent that community exists on Twitter, on Twitter as well. Um, if you have thoughts on the next book that we're discussing uh, that we may read on air, or if you have any books that you'd like to suggest for us to read, uh, let me know, and you can do that directly at my email at madeline at lovethynerd.com. Uh, Be sure to check out all of the podcasts on the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network and on LTN Radio, Pull List, Humans of Gaming, Free Play, Church Nerds, Two Words, and of course, LTN Book Club. Uh, You can find Love Thy Nerd on all your social media platforms. Just search Love Thy Nerd or find links on our website, lovethynerd.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. This has been the LTN Book Club. Our show is hosted by Madeline Turnipseed and is a proud member of the LTN Podcast Network. 
For more information on the show, the hosts, the books they're reading, and to subscribe, please visit lovethynerd.com slash book club.